Do you have someone in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her next selection. <laughs> and inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they suggested. That's us! <laughs> we both read a lot. Well, I don't even read, I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction, fantasy, and anthropomorphized animals rule. <laughs> I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your space operas and elves. I guess. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read that she would have never picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll see. Hmm. And this one I really, really want to start out with a spoiler alert on. Yes. Just because I want to talk about things that'll... Super spoiled book. Super spoiled book. So now is the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the ending and any twists along the way. If you haven't yet read the book and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read the book. And you are going to read the book. It's lovely. You're it not lovely. gonna. You're not gonna decide that you don't want to read it. That's a. That is a non-option with this well, book. Well, you could, but you would be foolish. Oh, good, good entrance. I knew you'd like this book. Have Have I started <laughs> off acceptably? Yes, you have. Super. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> you can stay. I won't do it all by myself this time. <laughs> So Usually I'm, you just tune me out. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I've got an inner monologue going on. So as you're talking, I'm kind of voice recording over you with things that I'd rather hear. Oh, right. Like when we talked about Neil Gaiman and you were like, right. Neil Gaiman's not my favorite author. I was like, Christine is saying she loves Neil Gaiman and wishes she had more I'd opportunities. Like to marry him. Yes. Oh, yes. Wouldn't we all? Come on. Don't, don't even get me started. That's not this podcast. Let's talk about the Traveling Cat Chronicles. Fine. Well, I did want to share... To start off with, normally I have picked books that I have read multiple times, that I've um, talked about to other people, that I've that have been in my repertoire for a while. Mm -hmm. This book was not that. Mm -hmm. I had a colleague recommend this book who works at one of our library branches, and she told me it was about cats and it would make me cry. And that was all I got. And I was like, well, I have to read this book. It is so right up your alley. I can't believe that someone had to recommend it. Cat, I, cats I and feel crying. like you would have some kind of... Um, otherworldly <laughs> power so that this would just have attached itself to you. You mean my cat book sense would tingle? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, it, it didn't. Oh, and this, this is still very popular. The book came mm -hmm. out in the U.S. Uh, in 2018. Mm -hmm. And so I waited on hold for it. And I got the book in. And from I, the library. From the library, as you all should do out there. It's, so you're already paying for it with your taxes. You might as well use it. Absolutely. Um, got the book in, started reading it the evening I got it, finished it the morning of while having breakfast and sobbing. Um, <laughs> so it was very salty breakfast that day. Came into work, handed Christine my library copy and said, we're reading this next. Have fun. <laughs> So it's doing three weeks minus one day because it took go. me one day to read it. Yeah. So not our usual typical um, process for this, or right. at least for me. And this isn't my typical type of book either. I, mm -hmm. I usually tend to stick pretty rigorously to a couple different genres. I like science fiction and fantasy. Uh, I like light romances if, mm -hmm. you know, it's a summer beach day. I'll do mysteries if they're not too gory. Mm -hmm. um, and I love kids' books. Okay. And this one was uh, just an interesting, fascinating little story. 
and I'm very intrigued to, to hear as we get further in how you felt about it. But first, I want to tell a little bit about the author. Please. Uh, this is a translated book. Mm -hmm. The author's name is Hiro Arakawa, and she's a Japanese author. And I'm sure Christine's first thought was, oh, Jessica's making me read this because Jessica just went to Japan, and she, she's a Japanophile now, and this is all we're ever going to do forever and ever and always. Accurate. Well, you be and I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be. This is Japan's got so many um, variations on the literature that they seem to mass produce. So they've got great literary novels. They've got um, a lot of a lot of material that I read from Japan is uh, manga, which is comic books, and then the anime. I can't believe you thought you would have to explain manga to me, knowing what a huge fan <laughs> I am. Please tell me your favorite series. I'm busy reading it, so I don't want to spoil that for you. <laughs> You're big fibbers, what wait, you wait. are. Wait, wait. Fruits Basket. Oh, okay. One, you said it right. Congratulations. I know. That's why the only reason it's my favorite is because I hate it so much because all the little kids would <gasps> no! come in and say, I want, I want to read Fruits Basket 22. And I would be like, why is there an S at the end of this? This makes no sense at all. You should read it. Mm -hmm. And then you would. And they're really fast because they're comic books, so it's mostly pictures. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm getting slightly off topic here. So... <laughs> A lot of what I have read coming out of Japan are, are comic books, mm -hmm. less fiction. So I wasn't quite sure what to get out of this as well. And so when I started doing some research on our author, um, this is her first big book that's mm -hmm. been translated widely. Right. Um, many of her books just stay in Japan, mm -hmm. as, as do lots of books. They just stay in the country they come from. But when I was digging into her background a little bit more, I found I had read another series that she's written. Oh, okay. So she wrote a light novelization series, which is like um, it's meant for young adults or, um, you know, like kids in college and things like that. Okay. It's got some illustrations interspersed. It's not too heavy. And she wrote a series and they're serialized usually. Mm -hmm. And so she wrote a series called Library Wars. <laughs> I like it already. I did not read the book version, the novelization she did, but I've read the manga series and I've watched the anime. Oh, funny. And it's um, it's set in an alternative universe in Japan, very similar to our own. And in the late 80s, Japan enacts the Media Betterment uh, Defense, Media Betterment Act, mm. where the Japanese government has a committee that can censor anything that they want that mm. they think um, isn't for the good of Japanese society. So then you leap forward 30 years, and librarians have become warriors, defending information, literacy, and knowledge for the people. The only thing I have to argue about is we've always been warriors. <laughs> it's not have become warriors. Okay, but they have guns. Oh, like they're ooh. they're they're out there. They're they're defending <laughs> with their hands and their might. They took Conan the Librarian yes. and made it come true. They did those things. Yes. Okay. So. I'm going to have to go back and read her serialization <laughs> now because Japan, what I have noticed from the small genres I've read, they go all over the place. So it starts with a book like The Traveling Cat Chronicles is a Japanese book. Mm -hmm. It's been translated. They've made a movie out of it. They're planning a serialization form in, in uh, manga at some point. And then they'll do like the ice skating version of maybe, it. Maybe. They do radio series about it. You get podcasts. So it's whatever uh, flavor of the story nice. you would like, it's available for you. Nice. Which I kind of like. You know, you listen to podcasts. I read books. Uh, we could go see the ice skating show. It would, right. It would all be fine. It would be fine. Yeah. Um, um, 
because this was originally written in Japanese, it was translated right. by a guy named Philip Gabriel. He's a professor of East Asian studies, and he's translated a number of other Japanese works into English, mostly by Haruki Marukami, who wrote uh, 1Q84, 1984. Okay. And... Um, when I talk about what I talk about when I talk about running, which have been kind of big books here. So I thought, okay, that gives a little chops. I always mm -hmm. worry with translated books yeah. what you're actually getting. I tried to go back and think of like big ticket authors or titles I've read that are translated, and I didn't have any great ones. Do you mm -hmm. have any that you've really liked over the years? Um, I mean, a lot of the classics have been translated. So right yeah. now I'm thinking of like Dumas, all of yeah, his stuff. Three Musketeers. Or, yep. Um, Don Quixote was had a, a relatively new translation maybe about ten years ago, and that was sort of revolutionary. And I listened to that, hmm. but um, yeah. But other than the classics, I can't think of anything contemporary that I've. Oh, that's not true. What about the Hedgehog? Um, what about the Hedgehog? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to remember the title. It's a French novel about something in the Hedgehog. Oh, I'm a bad librarian. Oh, it's um, okay. But I that was a It'll translation and it was charming. So 12 minutes later into the podcast, Christine is going to say da 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 in the Hedgehog, hedgehog. <laughs> and that's your cue to remember. Oh, it was that book she was talking about. Right. Well, when I was poking around, I found a couple I had read and hadn't really thought that they were translated novels. Mm -hmm. So like The Alchemist by Paolo. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. Quello. Quello. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that right. And um, A Man Called Ove. Oh, yeah. It was translated from Swedish. Right. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. Yeah. So there's all of these books so that you've are... you corrected me. I've... Yes. Oh. All of those. Yes. <laughs> there's all these books you don't even think about. Right. But when you do start thinking about it, you think, wow, I wonder if that's what they really meant. Right. Like, is that an accurate translation? Or do they have 12 words for this and we just picked one and plunked it in there? Right. I I don't know. Well, one of the things... I, I did a little research after the fact... Um, and somebody complained this was not a, um, a critic. This was a regular person on either Goodreads or Amazon mm. saying that they did not like the translation and that one of the, the faults they found with it was that um, – remember when they're in the um, – the fairy, and mm -hmm. he's in the animal-only room, mm -hmm. and there's a whole bunch of dogs and cats, and the chinchilla? Mm -hmm. Well, apparently chinchilla is Persian cat. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. I thought it was an actual chinchilla. <laughs> so I was taken at face value. I didn't, who knew? That's, fu that's funny. <laughs> so the only reason I have a barest knowledge of that is because I went to a cat cafe while I was in Japan. <laughs> of course you did. And they've got pictures of all their cats. <laughs> and then you can match them up. So, uh -huh. yeah. So you knew the chinchilla was not an actual chinchilla, but a Persian cat. It could have been either. It could have been fine. They're both fluffy. <laughs> One, one's a little smaller than another. Right. But, you know, they're both fluffy little pet things. Huh. Yeah. I suppose I should share a little bit of background on the book for, for folks who are wondering. Absolutely. So the Traveling Cat Chronicles is a book that's set kind of in our contemporary time, mm -hmm. and it's set in Japan. And it's got a dual narrator set up. It's told in the first person from a cat named Nana, and it's told in the third person from his person, his mm -hmm. buddy, Satoru. So Nana is a doesn't have a name at the start of the book, but he's a stray cat. He's kind of a cat man about town, mm -hmm. stealing food from wherever he can get it, hanging out on people's car hoods, really just kind of big man on campus mm -hmm. doing what he needs. Um, Just and then, ask him. He, oh, yes. He's, he's very, got a little head on him. He's your snarky kitty. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very Garfield-esque. Yes. <laughs> Wanting some lasagna under the car tire. Um, and then he starts seeing this guy around a car he sleeps near, and his name's Satoru. And Satoru starts leaving him food. And eventually, very early on in the book, um, Nana gets hit by a car. 
And Satoru takes him in, and they decide that they, they're a pretty good match. They're going to mm-hmm. live together. Yeah. So uh, Satoru is Nana's person, and Nana is Satoru's cat. And then about five years later, the real story starts, and um, for some reason, Satoru cannot keep Nana anymore. So it's told in these interspersed stories about um, where they're going on these short road trips as they're looking for a new home for Nana, and background about Satoru's life growing up to the point when he met Nana. So that's... Uh-huh. Kind of, kind of the background on it for for those of us who are not cats, <laughs> which should be all of us, I hope. Um, I got the vibe pretty early on. You kind of know what's coming down the pipe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you can tell Satoru is is ill, uh-huh. and so he's looking for a new home for Nana, somebody to care for him after he passes away. Right. And Nana is a cat, and even though he's anthropomorphized in here, so he like he's watching TV and he's talking to other animals, and right. he's he's got a a huge personality. He does not pick up on that with the speed that you as a reader do. So it's kind of that impending train do moment, and you're you're telling people, like, watch out, the rail's broken. Right. But they can't see it because they can't lean out the window. It's one of those pieces. I was interested that he doesn't seem upset about it. He's like, yeah, man, if we're done, just let me know. I can go out and be a an alley cat again. I'm, yeah. I'm down with that. So he's, like, totally chill about it. He's not freaked out. Yeah. He's not angry he's not even wondering he's like oh i guess my my time's done here gig here's up yeah you know and i think that plays into his his cat man about town personality he had to do it before right he'll do it again yep he'll find food and warm seats to lay on he'll he'll be okay he'll be sad well and the big thing that he will miss is laying on a giant crt (laughs) tv because and i do i have to explain what that is to you you do not i'm good okay there are going to be people who aren't gotten who are not going to know what a CRT big old huge TV is. They're only going to know what flat panel TVs are. But yeah, if your TV didn't click as it warmed down after being watched, um, you have a new TV. But um, yes, that was one of the cat's big loves was being able to lay on the fuzzy warm or mm-hmm. not fuzzy lay their fuzzy selves on the warm <laughs> clicking TV. Mm-hmm. I. So, listeners, you may not know this. Christine and I are both current and prior pet owners. We've Mm -hmm. had pets in our lives. And so a lot of the joy for me in reading this book was thinking about what our animals think about us. Um, So, like, the story opens and Nana is, you know, just hanging out, being a street cat. And he's really a funny, snarky little thing. Mm -hmm. So on the first page, he says... Human beings are basically huge monkeys that walk upright, but they can be pretty full of themselves. And that sets the tone for the relationship between this cat and other animals and the people that he interacts with. And it made me wonder, like, what are my cats? Are they – I think I'm just a large person that has thumbs or – Yeah, probably. So I am not a cat person. I'm a dog person. And – Not meaning that I, you know, don't care for cats, but I don't know them as well as I know dogs. So There were some dogs in the story. There were, but they were minor characters. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm curious, because you are just on the verge of the crazy lady cat. No, no. no, Crazy cat lady. That can't be accurate. Or or you've already crossed into that territory. Uh, I still Um, know all their names. So we're we're good. That's my limit. Okay, good. But I am very curious about your... um, how you feel as a generalization did this capture catness speaking for all cat people out there <laughs> i thought it did a pretty good job okay um 
because Nana's story is told from the first person viewpoint and Satoru, the person's, is told from the third person viewpoint, I felt a stronger connection because there's a lot of I and mm -hmm. we usage with the cat than sure. I did with the person. And he was he was a funny little character. Mm -hmm. He had surprising depths in some areas for an animal that mm -hmm. you've anthropomorphized in here. And, like, there's one section where um, they're driving around and so – Within the story, they go to three separate family or friends that Satoru is trying to find a new home for Nana. And one of them is at a farm mm -hmm. with Daigo. Right. And they're trying to figure out if this is a good fit. And so this dog comes running out, Tora. And Tora's barking, 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 barking. And um, Nana is so mad on behalf of his person. <laughs> right. and he, what did he say? Oh, I wrote it down. He said... Um, if you're going to pick a fight with Satoru, then I, a cat with a strong sense of pride, am not going to just sit here and take it. And then, of course, there's the hissing and the barking and the right. fighting and the growling. And he gets the better part of that fight. Well, I mean, he's the cat. Of course he right. does. So that's how that works. Right. But there were all these little moments along the way where I thought, that's that that's exactly what my pets would do, whether right. or not they had any thought process like this. Right. Um, and then there were these just magical, wonderfully written, very literary moments where it felt almost like a haiku. Mm -hmm. um, they have a point where they're going north. They go to Hokkaido, the, the northern island, Sapporo. And they get off the ferry, and they rent a car, and they're driving. And they see the ocean. Mm -hmm. And then they find this field full of these bright yellow and purple flowers. And the imagery that the author depicts about a cat being kind of set free to go roam around the flowers and play with the honeybees. Yeah. And the joy of the hunting and laying in the sun and being in a space you love, that was that felt very real to me. Absolutely. I think she did a lovely job. And I also think she did a lovely job um, going back and forth between the different narrations. Because mm. I think that can sometimes get tiresome mm -hmm. going back and forth. Sure. And you feel like it's a little too choppy or maybe um, they haven't given you enough background. So you're flipping back going, who's this person again? Yeah. Um, now, this was a much more... Um, fewer characters so it was easier to follow from that but I thought she did a lovely job keeping me giving me just enough information to keep me engaged um, but also enjoying the ride along the way not being too anxious to see what the outcome was because you, know you knew that he was yeah you know not long for the world I liked that particular model as a narrative device yeah. oftentimes when they go back and forth between characters it's like doing a flashback or a fast yeah. flash forward where they're trying to insert information you couldn't get any other way. Yep. With this one, it felt very organic. Yep. They're they're telling the forward story. They're looking back a little bit to give you perspective. Forward story a little bit back, right. and it wasn't clunky like you said. It right. was. It, it felt like that was the way the story should have been told. Yeah. 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 Um, part of the reasons that I foisted this book on Christine <laughs> is that um, a, a, a couple of our previous books have they've been really heavy topics. Mm -hmm. It's been uh, a little darker, mm -hmm. a little more murdery, um, <laughs> you know, as Than that, we ever want to be, as that word goes. <laughs> so uh, when I read this, um, my poor spouse, who will not be named right now, he. So I'm reading this in the evening, and I, it's normal. Yeah, I'm sitting there with a book. And then in the morning, as I get to the last 50 pages or so, and I'm eating my breakfast, it's just these tears because it's sad and, you know, it makes you cry. And he's saying things like, can I help you? Like, what can I do to stop this that's happening right now? And um, I got to the end of the book, and I was sad mm -hmm. because I knew it was going to happen. It was still sad to read about it. Right. But it, the book itself was just so joyful. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, that was a huge point of a book like this. Right. There's not a whole lot of plot. 
Right. You're not right. moving a story forward. There's no. no big mystery. But it was so happy. Mm-hmm. I just... It's yeah, it's, yeah. There's a lot of unconditional love and yeah. just joy in the moment and yeah. um, appreciating little things, beauty and um, music yes. and things that we may take for granted. On like a sitting on top of an old TV. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've taken that for granted. <laughs> so Good. one of my, um, again, not being a cat person, this tickled me. Um, very early on in the book, uh, Nana says. Cats are creatures that can say no. <laughs> True. Hey, right on, cats. You know, that is – it took me years to learn how to say no, so well, yay for you. And dogs never do. They're always happy, They're happy. S- what can I do for you? Yes, 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 yes. Exactly. Let me, let me drool on that thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I did find some um, uh, companionship, I guess, I don't know, with Nana because um, I don't know how much you're going to want to talk about this. Mm. He says – what can I tell you? Cats are realists because he does not like the little made up people that live under the <laughs> butter burr leaves. So he would not like your fantastic fiction. He would so not. He would how not. do you feel about that? You know, I'm okay. I'm really? Okay. It's yeah. okay in cats and it's bad in people. Well, you know, you have to give a little and take a little right, in life. So I can give a little. He's a cat. If he doesn't want to believe that there are magical fairy people living under a plant, mm-hmm. which, which was a fairy tale that they told in the story. Right. You know, it's, it's fine. I bet Satoru believed in it. Oh, the, the person did. in the book Absolutely. believed in he fantasy. Was hardcore convinced. Yeah. One of the things that I thought might perturb you a little bit about this book or be uh, harder to wrap kind of our conversation around is I found Satoru, our, our main author character, to be a little flat. Mm. He's, he's fairly one-dimensional. In the story, um, you get these interconnected pieces. So it's Nana's viewpoint of him, and then it's his own third-person recalling of his background. Mm-hmm. And all of the stories about him are uh, – he's a really good person. Mm-hmm. He's nice. Mm-hmm. He's giving. He's self-sacrificing. He's not angry about his fate even though he's passing away in his 30s. Right. He's just um, an all-around nice guy. And you get a little bit of the background about his, his parents passing and moving to live with his aunt and the trauma that kind of informs that type of a cho- purposeful personality. But there wasn't – a lot of uh, digging mm-hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. So I was worried you were going to say, he wasn't a great character, and I would have to defend him because I have great defense for it too. <laughs> I'm sorry to leave your de- – I'd love to hear your defense. I don't want it to go wasted, but but I, I was actually charmed by him because I did think that he was a truly lovely person, and I thought that the – I thought his purpose in the book was to show – the foibles of the f- friends yeah. and that he was so kind and giving and accepting that he just made it work. Yeah. And so I enjoyed that part. Well, good. And then I, I, my argument is moot because I was going <laughs> to talk about how his job was to be a foil, yeah. to be something to reflect off of other people. Right. That he as a character wasn't really meant to be a character that you went, oh, wow, right. look at this. He was meant to make you go look at the other characters and think that's interesting how they went this way right. or where they diverged. And really, because Nana is the first-person character, and they love Satoru, right. their view is always going to be prejudiced right. towards he's a wonderful person. Right. They saved him from a car accident. They feed him every day. They love him. They let him but sit on good things. But he's also just not a chump. No. Like, he has a spine, and so mm-hmm. – because otherwise Nana would not respect him. That's true. Nana would not, like, As much as a him. cat respects anyone. <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> see, see what a, a – 
uh, novice I am, I don't even understand cats well enough to say something, not say something foolish like that. Oh, well, I, the only other thing I wanted to share in this book, if, if you out there choose to read it, is I think probably the most um, complicated interpersonal reactions were between Satoru and his aunt, mm -hmm. Noriko. Yeah. And a lot of the books we've read and touched on have a lot of those really complex family dynamics. This one's not quite as involved in that, but the same way that a poem or haiku doesn't have to have a lot of words to take you there, mm -hmm. that was the feeling I got out of this book. I thought that was just heartbreaking because yeah. so she's the aunt that takes him in after his parents are killed in a car crash when yeah. he's only 12. He's a young yeah, kid. Yeah, young. And so she's clearly not ready for this. And she's yeah. a career lady and she's moving around all the time. And every time she opens her mouth, she sticks her foot in it. Yeah. And it's just tragic because she's trying to do the right thing. It's clear that she's got great morals and ethics and is a kind person. But boy, does she just get in her own way all yeah. the time. And I can tell you that as somebody who very recently has had 30 minutes of each month uh, recorded and says all kinds of dumb things. <laughs> I'm so grateful that the rest of my life is not recorded. Um, but I, I felt some kinship with her because, you know, the whole thing of like you say something and you mean it to be one way and then you second guess yourself and then you go, oh, my God, that came out so wrong. Yeah. And then you try to dig yourself out and you dig yourself further in. And yeah. it, well, so anyway, I just she was a very sympathetic character to me, which I don't think she was maybe she was intended to be. I'm not sure. But um she tried so hard. She really did. And she did. did not get a lot of traction. Nope. No. Every time she just got in her own way, which yeah. was a shame. Yeah. Well, as you think about reading it, remember that Nana is named for the number Na, seven, in Japanese because his tail is crooked. So. And stop telling everybody that. She, he gets so annoyed that um, his person keeps, every time they meet anybody on the street, I named him Nana because his tail is crooked like mm -hmm. a seven. And Nana gets just... Well, Nana's also a girl's name. Right. And Nana is a boy cat. So he was pretty peeved at the beginning of the story that uh, he was a a manly cat. Yes. And he someone had... girly name. Yeah, done that to him. Well, so one of the um, critics from the Washington Post, uh, Mary Laura Philpott, did a December uh, 2018 review. And I'm going to quote this because it's so beautifully encapsulates how I felt. Mm. Perhaps I'm still scarred by where the red fern grows, which made me ball so unremittingly that my mother threatened to take me to the doctor. So for me as a kid, it was um, not where the red fern grows, which did also make my whole face swell up mm -hmm. because I cried so hard. But it was a book called Bristle Face by Zachary Ball. I don't know that one. And my mom finally, and she didn't threaten to take me to the doctor. She said, you have to stop this. This is oh. ridiculous. You can't read these books that make you cry for a week. So, and then that I was actually reading. Oh, and I did read this book. I didn't listen. <gasps> that was right. the other thing because it wasn't, it's not available yeah. in audio format. So I'm exhausted. <laughs> my eyes are so tired. How do you do this? Uh, just skimming. Lots of skimming. <laughs> oh, my book when I was a kid was Old Yeller. Oh, yeah. The, the most tear-jerkiest book of them all. Yeah. This one... So I do have to ask about the Traveling Cat Chronicles. Did you cry? Of course. Okay, good. How could you even think you I wouldn't? You may continue on the podcast. <laughs> that was a test. I'm glad I... <laughs> so I don't know if you are prepared to make other um, recommendations not based on the book. You go but for it. It occurred to me that it was very similar to The Art of Racing in the Rain. Oh, yes. Good uh, book. By Garth Stein. Yeah. Um, and then 
the other one that it was similar to was Lillian Octopus by yep. Stephen Rowley. In fact, he's on the cover. He says yeah. a little blurb about the book. Um, and Lillian Op- Octopus, I had a very funny uh, experience with because I listened to it. Mm-hmm. And my MP3 player mixed up the chapters. So I have no idea <laughs> if I read it in order or not. I think it would have been a very different book if I had read it in the correct order because I did not. Maybe that will be a follow-up podcast Perhaps. that you'll have to read in print. Huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So tell us what we're reading next month. Well, next month, I'm pleased to tell you <laughs> that you're going to have a guest person. Mm-hmm. Um, I will not be able to join you, but we have arranged for Ted Cabbage, mm-hmm. who is a spectacular reader's advisor in Fairfax County Public Library. He will be your co-host. Yes, he will. And you two will be reading a book called Before You Know Kindness by Chris Bajalian. And in my opinion, Chris Bajalian is a master of ethical dilemmas. And he has really, really human characters that are flawed but likable. And they get put in these crazy situations that are, you know, realistic and you mm-hmm. you could find yourself in them. Um, and all through the book you go, would I do that? Would I not do that? How could he do that? How could he not do that? Hmm. And then I find myself thinking about him for a week or so afterwards. So I'm very excited to hear what you and Ted think about it. It's Before You Know Kindness by Chris Bajalian. Well, we'll give it a go. Ted is a science fiction fantasy reader like myself. Mm-hmm. We may enact a coup. We may just talk about books we like. We'll see. Oh, my gosh. But you're not going to be here, so you can't do anything That's about true. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. You're making me read what? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, and it should be, it's fabulous. <laughs> there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please do join us next month when we'll be discussing Before You Know Kindness by Chris Bajalian which is almost pronounced correctly. Correct. Thank you so much, and keep on reading. 